0: Hello and welcome to the Moonshots Podcast. It's episode 55. I'm your co-host, Mike Parsons, and as always, I'm joined by the man in Brooklyn, Mr. Chad Owen. Good evening, Brooklyn. Good morning,
1: Sydney. So tell me this, Mike. We're in the middle of our uh, author spotlight here with Simon Sinek, and somehow we managed to shoehorn a children's, quote-unquote, children's illustrated book in here. So tell tell me a bit more about how that uh, snuck onto the show here.
0: Well, I think this is why we are such uh, Simon Sinek fans, and we know all of you, our listeners, are a bit partial to Mr. Sinek too. Um, So he, he rolled out his first two books, Very sort of heady, thoughtful, intentful business books about how you should lead, how you should ask questions about why and seeking your motivation. And then what was so wonderful is he did a massive detour and said, you know what? My next book, I'm gonna make it a picture book, I'm gonna make it a gift book. I'm not gonna even have a Kindle version. He did a ton of really cool things around it. So Come on, Chad! Hit him with the third book. So
1: here on the fourth show, uh, spotlighting Simon in the the third show here in, in the author spotlight, we're picking up his book. Together is better, and you know, there's also like a song and a music video that go along with the book too.
0: Yeah, which is uh, brilliant. But he even he even like to think about it. It was pretty cool making a song for your picture book, which is for. Corporate executives, but he even created uh, a special scent with these perfume experts. I mean, what do you think Sinek was smoking when he got to the third one? Was he like, "Hey guys, let's let's do something different"? Yeah. <laughs> well,
1: and the and the scent is the scent of optimism. Like what?
0: <laughs> <laughs> but you g- got to love it. I mean, if there was one word to frame uh Simon Simon Sinek he brings enormous amounts of positivity and optimism and that's particularly in how he delivers his his message and uh I mean he has he's I think turned the lights on for a lot of people and I think you and I throughout the course of the show and working together for years and years now I mean his frameworks and his thinking has infused its way into so many ways in which we do our functional jobs, you know, creating products and stories for, for big brands. But the crazy thing, Chad, is I think his uh, books all inspire how we choose to work together. You and I on this show at work with our friends, colleagues, and partners, and I think this book, Together is Better, may in fact be... The signature book about out of all the work he's done that informs how you and I love working together. Hmm.
1: I think, yeah, and we have some really, as always, we have way too many clips to get through in just one show, so we've uh, winnowed it down to some clips to talking about kind of how Simon got started and and how uh, some of his earlier experiences led to not only his, his breakout book Start with Why, but Leaders Eat Last, and of course, Together Is Better. And then you were able to find, actually, I want to give a shout out to uh, an unsung uh, uh, collaborator, two unsung collaborators here on the Moonshots podcast in the spirit of Together is Better. Just wanted to say thank you to our producer, Sophie, and our editor, Mike. Uh, We could not do this podcast without the two of you. But uh, you and Sophie were able to find some really excellent clips around the different themes that are in the book Together is Better as well.
0: Yeah, I think what we've got ahead uh, for us on the show is a ton of really spot on clips talking about, if you will, teamwork and collaboration. But I think there's perhaps a more fundamental lesson inside of this that we have to discover today about how you can sort of get out of your own way in order to work with others to do great things. And uh, there's so much packed into this. but. I loved uh, I loved that you mentioned this this song because I think we should tease it out for the audience. We're going to play a little bit of the song in a moment. But um, don't forget, everything that you hear on the show today, you can follow up at moonshots.io and you can find out more information, get links from the show notes, all that good stuff. So we've got a ton of information uh, there. But I feel like, Chad, we've got an action-packed show ahead. Where shall we start?
1: Here's a quick intro uh, from someone that was interviewing Simon at the release of the book, and he gives a, a really great introduction in, into Together is Better. joined by Simon Sinek. He's an author, he's a speaker, he's an optimist. I'm sure you know him. He's got the third most watched uh, TED talk in the universe, and now he's got a new book, Together is Better, and we're going to talk all about it. So welcome thank you thanks for having me
2: thanks for coming so uh this is not your first book it's number three number three um you know the first two books were sort of thinky thinky books where um i tried to break down and explain leadership and tribalism and all of this stuff cooperation and trust based on biology and anthropology and in all my work I realized that there was a theme that runs through it, which is we're social animals and we need each other. Mm. And so I decided to do something that was a complete departure for me, um, which is to do this little simple illustrated book. Right. Um, the funny thing is everybody thinks it's for kids. It's, right. It's an adult book. Right, right, um, right. But I designed it to look like a kid's book. It is fully illustrated. Yeah, I don't know if uh, we'll be able to see it so much here, but it is a, it's a continuing story. Well, yeah. you, it it's may- a metaphor. So basically what I did was, um, I wanted to share this message that uh, there you go. There's some of the quotes. Um, it was more important for me to share the message in a completely new way that people would get it. That you didn't have to, you know. I know that not everybody gets through all the books, you know? right? But so I figured if I wrote something short enough, uh-huh. they, they'd finish it, right, you know? right, right. Um, and it's basically the book is a metaphor. Um, the story is a metaphor. Um, you know, many of us, too many of us, um, are dissatisfied with where we work. We don't really feel like our bosses or our leaders care about us, our growth, our careers. Um, sometimes we have dreams that we don't pursue. Mm. Um, or sometimes the way we just describe our jobs is, it's, you know, it's fine. Same old, same old. That's how most people describe their jobs. Right. And so um, I came up with these three little kids who are, their are archetypes. At various points in our lives, we have been each of them, who do also dream of leaving the playground for a better playground. Uh, okay. And the question is, how do you do that? And um, just like we who want to try something new or different or make a change in our lives, um, you're going to have to do it with others. You're going to have to ask for help. Right. And right. so these kids go on a journey looking for a better playground and they learn the hard way that they won't get there unless they they, they help each other, unless they do it together. Yeah, Together, together really is better.
0: Yeah, nice. I, I just love the courage, Chad, that he had just to do something that, I mean, can you honestly imagine like the guys that publish all the Harvard Business Review books or, you know, those classic business book publishers sitting there going, hey, yeah, let's just do a picture book. But somehow Sinek managed to do it. I, I think that's really neat. Yeah. I mean, while
1: Clayton Christensen or Peter Drucker uh, may have really meaty, uh, important ideas to share, there's not an easily accessible book that we can pick up that that distills it down You know, in an easily digestible format. So I think, yeah, I think it's a brilliant move on on Simon's part, and it really comes out of the way he writes his previous books. I mean, he's he's very heavy in the use of analogies and metaphor and story. So abstracting it to the level of you know these three kids that are kind of three parts of each of our personalities and the way we approach work. I, it's just a natural extension of the way he writes.
0: Actually, that's a that's a really good point. Yeah, he he's a fantastic storyteller because. He he avoids all the jargon and the traditional forms of any sort of business and work or life advice. Now, he's, he, he's got an exceptional storytelling skill, but something else that sounds good is this song, Chad. So why don't you just give us a a, a, a morsel from uh, the the song, which is now what's the guy's name? He's got a really interesting name. I believe it's, is it Aloe Black is the artist's Aloe name? Black. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. So why don't you play just a a little touch from Together is Better.
3: Hold my hand so you don't slip on the rocks They say the mountain is so hard to climb And the valley is steep to go Together is better than one Hold my hand so you don't slip on the rocks They say the mountain is so hard to climb And the valley is steep to go Together it's better than one Hand in hand we will get to the top Hand in hand we will run down the valley Hand in hand we shall overcome than one. Hand in hand, we will get to the top. Hand in hand, we will run down the valley. Hand in hand, we shall overcome. Together is better than
1: one. And there's Together is Better by Allo Black. It's interesting to hear Simon talk about in some other clips about how he really wanted to have a song created, but then he went out and searched, and there was already a song called Together is Better. Oh, Chad,
0: Chad, it gets better. He he rang up Allo and said, come to my book launch. And he's like, oh, okay, what's the book? And he says, Together is Better. And he goes, no way, I have a song called Together is Better.
1: <laughs> yeah, exactly. And the themes, yeah, it's it's exactly what you'd expect if it were custom uh, arranged um, yeah, right, and, right. and written for for the book, even yeah. though it already existed
0: yeah yeah but um I think you know we have got a, a bunch of clips that that um support the main ideas in the book, and I think all our listeners are just gonna love getting into that it's 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 another new space of how to behave how to think from Simon Sinek, but in preparing this show, chad, what the treat we've really got for our listeners is that we've also got one or two clips that really give us some deep insight into. Simon Sinek himself, and uh, he he's obviously on a bit of a tear at the moment, and he 's quickly becoming uh, a guru of our time and uh, we 're going to start with this first clip where he explains a little bit of his childhood and how it relates specifically to this book, but I think what our listeners can get uh, from this as well is a sense of where he 's coming from and some of the behaviors that help him see the world in this very unique way that he does. So let's have a listen to Simon Sinek talking about childhood.
1: How do you think that childhood has
2: sort of affected your your outlook on leadership and optimism? And... Yeah, I grew up in, in four continents before the age of 10. Right. Uh, so we were lifted up as a family constantly. And I think there's two huge things that I, I learned as a kid that, that, that are in me today one is my immediate family you know my sister in particular we you know we were the closest things we had because we kept moving and changing our friends mm. and so that family unit really was important we're a very very close family mm. um, so that's I learned that the importance of people and keeping people close and the other thing was we went to such wildly different places you know from Africa to Europe to, to Asia um, that um, I learned that it's what it's like to be uncomfortable, you know, right. I'm, right. I'm the minority. Yeah. Okay. And, um, and I, it's a, it's an amazing thing. I can, to this day, be dropped into somewhere unfamiliar and I'll be okay. And I, and I have, um, I think it's helped me as an anthropologist as well, mm. um, because I have a respect and a deference for, for those on their journey. Right. And right. especially for those who, who don't feel like they belong, I, you know, that's, that's, uh, so it's definitely, it definitely impacted me.
1: Hmm. Yeah, it's interesting how his experiences living abroad, I almost hear it as kind of building a resiliency or an adaptability in him. And then you combine that with kind of the security and safety he had in his family, uh, is really, I think, yeah, obviously core
0: to to who he is
1: and and how he, he thinks about and
0: views the world. And I think it uh to build on that, Chad, I think it actually being an expatriate you can hear it by default makes you way more open uh, to differences and different people, different places. And I think that's a big part of what I see in him is that he's genuinely open and ready to discover the world as it is. And he's trying to do that from a quite an empathetic Uh, point of view and I think you learn that as an expat who's also lived in four countries I I was was going to say
1: we've got a former Amsterdamer and uh, Londoner, Londoner San
0: Franciscan and Sydneyite so here's the thing Chad like if 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 you do expose yourself as an expat I think the thing I would share with our listeners is without a doubt you're right it is one of the toughest thing you you can ever do so You build a resilience like crazy because you basically rock up somewhere and you have to learn everything all over again. But the second thing is that you learn to bring those around you. And, you know, as you know, my family, we're pretty tight, uh, my wife and my son and I, and it's because all four of us have lived in four different countries together. So, you know, I can see how close we are relative to other families because they may have lived in their city their whole lives, which is totally fine. But you just build this togetherness because you're moving around. So the one constant is is the family. And that's a big thing. But I think all of these experiences in Simon have have really helped him ask bigger questions, see the world more complete. And I think that's where some of his great work comes from, don't you think, Jed? Yeah. Yeah, it's interesting because I can see the correlation between
1: kind of the family as a team and how if you have that good team that you can move together, it's almost like, you know, in in the workplace, like that team can go and conquer any project that they set their minds to as long as that team unit is kind of intact. Yeah. So I think his thinking's you know, very much informed by his childhood. And if we fast forward, you know, a few years into his professional career, he has some interesting thoughts about you know, it wasn't like he kind of came upon this, uh, this brilliant idea that was just, you know, taken up by everyone, he actually, you know, he had to put his boots on the ground and get out there and just start to share that bit of insight that he had. And eventually, you know, like every grain of sand kind of turning into the giant snowball avalanche, uh, he was eventually able to, to make it happen. But here's Simon sharing his story of how it all started just simply by sharing the why.
2: What was a tipping
1: point in your life or career when you realized you discovered something truly extraordinary that needed to be shared
2: in your world? And, and not, not only that, that you could make a living doing it. Um, my journey started a bunch of years ago. Uh, uh, thank you for the question, Jesse. Um, I lost my passion for what I was doing. Um, and it was that crisis um, that uh, was really unnerving for me. Um, i uh, sort of a happy-go-lucky guy, and I wasn't feeling so happy-go-lucky anymore, and it wasn't until a friend came to me concerned that I was uh, Acting differently because I spent all of my days Lying hiding and faking I was pretending that I was happier more successful and more in control than I actually felt mm. um, and Having somebody who believed in me and cared about me gave me the courage to find a solution mm. that solution was this thing called the why that I discovered. And I realized I knew what I did, I knew how I did it, but I didn't know why.
4: Mm. And it
2: had such a profound impact in my life. It restored my passion that I did what anyone would do when you discover something beautiful. I shared it with the people I loved. You see a great movie, you tell your friends to see it. So I told my friends and my friends started making crazy changes in their lives. Mm. And then they would invite me to their homes to share it with their friends. So it all began very organically. I literally stood in someone's apartment in New York City Uh talking about this thing called the why. And people would ask me to help them uh, find their why. And I would do it on the side for about 100 bucks. And so that's how it began. It it wasn't my, and just people kept asking me and I kept saying yes. And and, uh, I, I took a risk once when a company asked me and I said, yes, it was the first one. And they asked me the price. And I'm thinking, well, it's $100, you know. And I, I don't know, I just in this meeting, I said, it's $5,000 and I'll work with you. And they said, okay. And that's when I realized <laughs> I could make a living uh, helping people and um, helping organizations uh, uh, find their why.
0: That's fantastic.
2: Yeah, so that was really just a stroke of idiocy and luck all wrapped <laughs> right. up in one.
0: Wow, what an insight into how the whole movement of why started and... Um, in a living room in New York. <laughs> I know. But it's also, you know, I love... What I really love about his story, which is very similar to Eric Reese's, is it starts with adversity. In our earlier shows, we've talked about how he was basically running an advertising agency and wasn't really happy. And then that sent him on a path of asking why and the other thing that that strikes me about the characteristic here of when you've got something and i think this is really helpful for all of our listeners to know i mean we're often working on something where we're like it's a product it's a, it's the launch of a product it's a big project an app or whatever it is and we're working on it and you're always like uh, i hope The user, the customer, the audience, I hope they're going to like this. And it's really challenging when you're making something and you're like, you really just don't know if they're going to like it. And what he pointed out there is, you know, when you've got something, when people pick up on it, adopt it and start spreading it, it it, it gets those little organic And bring their friends
1: along as well. Yeah. That advocacy.
0: Uh Uh-huh. Uh-huh. It is such a great indicator. And I, I and I have to tell our, our listeners, it is such a specific thing to look for. If people try out your product or your service and or hear your story and start resharing or telling it, then this uh shareability, this advocacy is such a leading indicator that you've really got something. And if you're banging on the door for years and years and nobody's talking about it, you you would well ask yourself, hmm, do I need to change something here? Because well, you wouldn't n- even
1: get to the point of doing it for years and years because you you bang on the doors and no one answers, then you have to go <laughs> back and be like, am I actually building something that someone
0: wants? Which is a very good question indeed. And what's interesting is we often think the guy banging on the door or the girl banging on the, on the door is this big, powerful, charismatic, sometimes a little uh, sort of the dictator archetype. But what's so beautiful in this last clip to kind of round out some insights uh, on Simon Sinek himself is we've got this fantastic little insight that it's not always the biggest and the loudest that are the leaders. So let's have a listen to Simon Sinek talking about introverts.
4: Can an introvert become a good leader? Oh,
2: absolutely. Um, I'm an introvert. Uh, People think that because I stand on the stage, I'm an extrovert, but I actually try to sort of avoid sort of big gatherings and things. Uh, I'm I'm an introvert, but absolutely. Um, I get asked this all the time, sort of, what are the characteristics required to be, you know, vision, you know, charisma. I know some fantastic leaders who don't have big Steve Jobsian visions. You know, I know some fantastic leaders who don't have like tons of energy and bouncing around and charisma. They're sort of quiet and sort of keep to themselves. However, what all great leaders have, in my opinion, is courage. They have the courage to do the right thing, they have the courage to speak truth to power, they have the courage. Um, uh, to do something that's unpopular or put up with the extreme amounts of, of pressure from external sources that are pushing them to do something more expedient, more short-term, to do something that's better for the long-term and for the people. Courage is it. So absolutely, introverts actually make um, fantastic, fantastic leaders. A lot of great leaders are introverts. Yeah,
1: I love this affirmation for me and this idea of courage. I think he it, it probably Came to it from a lot of the stories in the military that he would uncovered when he was researching uh, his book "Leaders Eat Last." But I would, I would kind of add an addendum uh, to kind of the shared characteristic between all leaders. Now I'm curious if if you share my 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 thought or if you have another one. But so in addition to courage, I would actually add like a, a dash of vulnerability because I, I think they're quite interlinked mm. there. Oh. And he touches on it, you know, with like the, the leader being able to kind of like maybe admit when they are wrong and really open th- themselves up to the team and understand, hey, uh, here's some of my shortcomings, but I want to try and help you in like in spite of them.
0: Yeah. I, I, I think it's perhaps if I look at my own <laughs> attempts at self improvement, is that introverts or those that are a little bit shyer just they're they're often not the first one to speak um, and they start by listening, which crazily enough for someone who's a total chatterbox like me is like I'm desperate, I desperately make myself aware of this all the time so I'm not banging on and, you know, sucking all the air out of the room. Uh-huh. So I love this and I love how it challenges, you know, that that classical um uh, bias that we have to thinking he who is loudest or she who yells the loudest is the leader
1: yeah because i think being courageous you kind of have to open yourself up a bit like and take that risk and you know we talked this to death and leaders eat last but it's like if you're the one that's going out there and taking the risks that tells everyone else inside your team organization family whatever that it's okay for them to do it too because they know that you have their back yeah so this. Idea of courage, I think, is so fantastic, and it's oh, it's yeah. not something that I don't know that I have heard again outside of kind of like a military context. But I think it's a very apt apt way to to talk about you know what the shared commonality between all leaders is.
0: That's right. That's right. And it, that's a, that's a really good um, sort of you know button uh, to kind of put on on the end of our insights into Simon Sinek himself and. We're going to jump now into like a really fun part of the show where we're really going to get to have a a, a sort of a journey into this whole idea of teamwork and doing things uh, together. Now, the one thing um, before we do that, I just want to kind of remind everyone where we're at in this journey of the Simon Sinek series. We've We've obviously talked about Start With Why and we've talked about, Leaders Eat Last, and uh, both of those fabulous books uh, covering mentorship and and motivation and leadership. Um, Still ahead in our series, we have the Find Your Why, which is sort of the practical guidebook to start with why, and we're also really excited to cover The Infinite Game, which is a book which is uh, coming out really, really soon. But I think the special thing is how different this this uh, book is that together is better. And and Chad, I want you, I want to get you, ask you a question. So for mm. our listeners, if they're like, "Oh, this book sounds pretty interesting," who would you uh, get them to think about as the perfect person to give this book to? If they were to kind of go through their little rolodex and contact list, who might be someone that that one of our listeners could? uh that they could give this book to yeah so it might
1: you know, this might not be the easiest thing to give say your boss because then you know there's that subtle implication that uh they're not like a very good leader or there's kind of some room for improvement so i don't want to assume that everyone has you know nice open candid uh relationship with with those that uh that manage them but i think it's a perfect gift for any team member and i use the word team member, you know, very broadly. So I'm sure Mike, you could give this to another one of the coaches of a part of your rugby organization. Yeah. um, As, 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 you know, a a valuable and interesting gift because, you know, I've, as we've, as we've understood on this journey, like um, there's probably not a place where teamwork and collaboration happens where Simon stuff is not applicable, Right. but yeah, you know, I would say, you know, someone that you've done a project with, um, that you really appreciated and, and yeah, wanted to pay it forward, give them a bit of a gift mm. as a thank you.
0: Mm.
1: But yeah, uh, one of your fellow Roby coaches was like one of the first uh, ideas that I had. had. I love it. That's- you know, And I can think of some collaborators that I've worked with recently, you know, not inside of my own company that I think could be encouraged and uh, learn quite a few things from the book.
0: Yeah. Yeah. No, that's, that's, that's awesome. Yeah. So I, I think the way I would encourage all our listeners to think about this. Is it's it's really fun to have. We 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 bought one for the office recently, but it's also a wonderful gift book. Particularly if you want to give someone maybe work related. Um, if you want to give them a gift that's just a little bit different, and it's not like a Jim Collins book. It's not like a traditional cynic. It's book. not a
1: trudge to read through. You got to spend eight hours, right, yet, right. And you can just flip through this on your lunch break yeah. and uh, and really enjoy it.
0: Yeah. So it's it's just a a, a remarkable uh, piece of work. It was very brave on his part, and uh, it's a re- I really recommend it either for yourself or even as a gift. Together is better by Simon Sinek. That's a must do, and we'll we'll have links in the show notes at Moonshots.io for everyone. But now, Chad, now we are going to delve into this book. We're going to get into some some of the four big themes. That he gets into. He talks about service to others. He talks about passion, talks about thinking positively, and he's got a really nice take on that. But I think where we want to start, Chad, is with that big hairy word called trust and working with others in the real world. Like we're not talking like a little bit of Slack chat here, are we?
1: No. And I think, you know, for him, trust really is engendered in those Real life examples of collaboration. You know, we cut out kind of a whole section of. I called it like, oh, those millennials, because he's got some great things to say about us millennials and kind of how we're disconnected through our devices and we've become addicted, whatnot. But we're going to save that uh, for the next show. Yeah, here's um, here's a clip with Simon just talking about what it what it means to kind of stay in touch with real life.
4: How important is it that a leader is intact with real life and with real people? Uh, So it's essential,
2: right? I I think that's one of the challenges and problems of leadership today, which is, um, you know, there used to be a time when if somebody wanted to know what the people inside their company felt, they would walk around the company and ask them. You know, um, we would interact with each other. We'd roam the halls. Now we largely sit at desks and and manage our businesses through... um, email and instant messenger and, you know, we're sort of very disconnected. And so I think the best leaders, um, despite the advantages of, uh, of technology, understand that it comes at a cost and work very, very hard to work around it. Um, so they do still roam the hallways. They still do, still do use the telephone. Um, uh, they rely on, on interpersonal and human contact. Okay. I, I visited a company recently. Yeah. It was a startup in Los Angeles. I think they have five employees. They're really small. And they have an open space, you know, and they sit across the room from each other and they were instant messengering each other <laughs> instead of talking. That blew me away. Yeah, lot. it's incredible. I mean, at least you have an excuse if you have thousands of people. But when you have five people in a room, like, that's, that was fascinating to me. So, yeah, talking and interpersonal and this... Like you and I could do this over instant message and you and I could do this even over a video conference, but this is so much better.
4: I'm glad we did it this way too. Yeah. Now I I see all these live interviews all the time as well through Skype or Google Hangout. It never feels the same as as having two people talk to each other. There's no chemistry.
0: So what strikes me about that, Chad, is how much that relates to our world. Uh, You're in New York. I'm in Sydney. We work with teams in Europe as well. Yep. A- and we are heavily on digital communication, but we are so big on in-person uh, time together. I mean, no email.
1: I would say it's almost a 10x improvement on you know quality time together, productivity, everything. It's just like through the roof when we're together versus... Uh, not. It's not to say that we don't get our work done when we're uh, spread out across the globe, but yeah, it always just feels like we move so much uh, tighter, faster, more highly aligned, and, and quicker together.
0: Yeah. And, and I think that the warning here for us and, and our listeners is to remember that it is so easy to text and email, but equally, it is so hard to miss understand and miscommunicate in email. Yeah. And that's the biggest lesson for me is no matter how much time I take with an email certainly particularly how I tend to communicate I can do such a better job in person. I it's the intonation, it's the the body language, it's it's the it's the whole way of seeing also the other person responding and building off what they're saying. It's like high fidelity, it's like HD communication and everything else is like pigeon yeah.
1: pigeon mail. It's funny that we need a reminder, but it's true. You know, many of us in our work environments try to find technology solutions to problems that don't don't need a technology solution. You could just turn your head and say, you know, in the case of the startup guys in LA, like, "Hey, where do you want to go to lunch?" and they could probably figure that out in about I don't know, 15-20 seconds as opposed to Three dozen uh, IM chats, mm.
0: yeah, and and it, it is so true that 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 because technology is so easy that it, we become a little bit. I don't know. Do you think it's fair to say we in communication it becomes a little lazy? Oh yeah,
1: yeah. It's much easier to kind of hide behind, um, maybe not hide, but just you can kind of like skirt around. I call it the frog. Like <laughs> you, you just <laughs> the need to frog? eat. Yeah. Like you just need to eat the frog and then everything else you do during that day will be like so much easier. I think it comes from like, Mark Twain oh, yeah. or something. But it's like the you know the big hairy or the big hairy audacious goal or whatever like you kind of skirt around the hard thing I think when you when you use yeah. technology to communicate about things but if you're together you're like hey the elephant in the room is this and like we got to address it.
0: Yeah, that's that's really true. Sorry for all those and- uh,
1: mixed metaphors there. I think I, <laughs> <point> I got my point across.
0: But um, you, you're absolutely right. Um, and it, it once you build, like I feel that every time we're together, you know, we create understanding and reconnection. And, geez, Chad, we've been working together for ages, for years and years and years. We've done so many different projects on all four corners of the planet. Um, but it's still like, I think I've already been in New York a couple of times this year and that time together is, 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 is precious. And I, yeah, I think a lot of people forget it. You know, Cynic talks about walking, just walking the hall. I, I totally, I couldn't agree more with him. Like just walk around, connect with people, feel the vibe, see what's going on. It is an incredibly important thing to do if you want to understand people and build trust with them. But I think Cinex got another good idea for us, Chad, don't you? This, this idea of how we might work together.
1: Yeah, I will just go straight to the clip here um, where he talks about what it takes for, for teams to become uh, great working together.
4: So one of the Mm -hmm. quotes I pulled out was again from "Together is better." If you're tuning in right now, bad teams work in the same place. Good teams work together. I love that. It it says so much. You know the word "team"
2: is so bandied about Mm -hmm. so easily. Like this is my team. It's like no, you just happen to work in the same office. Mm -hmm. You know, you're assigned to the same product. But do you love each other? Do you trust each other? Do you care about each other? Will you sacrifice for each other? Are you do you take real joy in seeing your friends, your colleagues, your teammates have success? Mm -hmm. Or are you bitter and angry that they got promoted before? for you. You know, does it, do you mind that you sometimes don't get the credit? You know, that's a real team. Mm. Um, there's real love there. Um, mm. The rest, I
0: think are just colleagues. Oof. Oof. Yeah. Ouch. Isn't that good, Chad? Like, I just love the way he pinned it so well. Yeah. I don't,
1: I don't know that I've ever thought about it in that explicit way, but certainly we have all felt that of like, you know, I see on the org chart, we're kind of all together and we're kind of in the same Slack channel, or whatever, because we're all on the marketing team. But yeah, it's like, you know, would I take a, a virtual bullet for one of my team members or not? Do I trust them to do the same for me? Can I stick my head out and take a bit of a risk? Because I know that they'll uh, support me. Um, these are many of the unsaid things that all of us think when we're on a team, but maybe we don't say them. So yeah, so Simon's saying like hey, leaders need to like call all of these things out and be sure that when we call ourselves a team we're an actual team and not the C word colleagues.
0: Yes. Yeah, it's and and you know I think there is a um, a real thing that if we can tap into it, we'll understand how to create these good teams. How to be teammates not you know, co-renters of a space. (laughs) And here's the idea. The idea is that we've all got this selfish gene inside us because we're humans that are programmed to survive. And uh, the way that this tends to come out in the workplace a lot is in this idea of our egos. And Simon has this amazing thinking we've got in this next clip Where he talks about ego and and what i want us all to do now is just think about that in the context of the earlier clip like if we truly want to be a great team together and get some really awesome work done then we've got to tune in and be self-aware around this idea of ego so let's have a listen to simon sinek
4: please explain social animals with so much ego going on so i'm sure you look at leadership and ego and people struggling with ego how do we kind of get, it, get beyond that in our personal relationships. So it, there's a paradox being a human being, um, unfortunately. At all times, every moment
2: of every day, we are both individuals and members of groups, right? We are both responsible for ourselves and our own happiness and our own joy. But at the same time, we're members of families, we're members of churches, we're members of teams, we're members of companies. Like, we're members of multiple groups every single day at every moment. And this produces some complications. We have to make decisions. So do we put ourself first? Or do we put the group first? And there's a debate. Some people say, oh, you have to take care of yourself before you can take care of the group. And some say, no, 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 you take care of the group, and that's what helps. They will take care of you. And the answer is yes. It's not one or the other. It's actually both simultaneously. Um, It is a challenge. But at the end of the day, there's no getting around it. As social animals, our success, our happiness, our joy, our ability to get anything done requires help. And uh, those who embrace the fact that they cannot do everything alone that they need the support and love. And it doesn't mean somebody who's physically helping you lift something. Sometimes it might be someone who just believes in you. These things are essential and there's just no getting
3: around it.
1: Hmm. It's almost like the circle of teamwork, you know, instead of the circle of life. And that Mm. uh, if you agree with his base assertion that everything you want to do requires help, whether it's physical help, emotional support, help, whatnot, in order to get that, you have to give it. And so then that kind of creates this ho- hopefully virtuous cycle.
0: I, and I totally believe it. I mean, you know, our listeners might be familiar with, uh, you know, they've heard of the idea of karma and you get what you give and, and all this kind of stuff. But I, but I do believe it's true, but it, often it's the ego that stops us from being the one to give first. Yeah. It's the and wrench that, in the machine for oh, sure. I'm so good. I'm working so hard. They're not like, it's all that voice. Uh, I don't have- I'm carrying the, first... the team on my back. Yeah. Yeah. They made the mistake. They have to say, sorry. Like it's like all of that ego. Um, and, uh, he, he just nailed it, right? That's where the breakdown between individuals and teams are. So if we can just get over that and just give a little and hope for the best, you know, invariably, you know, it does work out directly best, but if not indirectly, if you keep giving people will just want to hang out with you. People will feel like you care, that you're generous, that you're not selfish. I'm sure good things will come. And and that's where we unlock the chance to really start to think about our worldview. And uh, I love the twist that uh, Simon takes in sort of the second pillar of his book, which is around positivity and positive thinking. It's a bit of a cliche Um, but you know, there's so much truth in positive thinking. I really like how he, in the book, Chad, how he sets up this idea of how to think positively.
1: Yeah. And it's, it's really about leveraging the power that you have all together to move as one towards your goal and being very focused, you know, on the things that you can control versus kind of all those external factors, maybe competitors, a a different team, um, and that again, if you kind of focus on the team and work together, that you can actually uh, achieve your dreams better, faster, or quicker um, than if you're focused on those external factors. So here's Simon talking about chasing the dream versus focusing on your competitors
4: ones that stood out to me was we achieve more when we chase the dream instead of the competition Mm -hmm. and i wanted to ask you that question in terms of we see so many people we're so much struggling with just dealing with the competition how do we make that mental shift where you start chasing the dream and not the competition so
2: it's very very funny because if you think about the companies the companies obsess about their competitors which is fine tactically which is fine for short term Mm -hmm. but long term most companies aren't brought down by the competition they know about. They're brought down by the competition they don't know about. Some new emerging technology. You know, do you think the music business was paying attention to the computer business at all? Of course not. They were paying attention to other music companies. Um, you know, uh, MySpace wasn't focused on Friends, uh, Facebook. They didn't even know Facebook existed. But it's Facebook that brought them down or yeah. significantly hurt their business, right? In other words, if you don't even know who your competitors are, what's the point of Fixating and making all of your business decisions based on competitors. All we're doing is reacting, reacting, reacting. This is why purpose matters. It gives us a north star. Yes, we have to concern ourselves with our competition from a tactical and short-term point of view, but to make long-term strategic decisions based on a competitive set that we don't even know if it's complete, based on technology that we don't even know it's, it's completely fully baked, is madness. It's absolutely madness, right? So you want to fixate on the, on the, the, uh, on, on the path.
0: How good is that, Chad? Like, there was a couple of good thoughts in that. I I think what I liked is stop thinking about your competitors so much because if you look in history, those that displace you are never the ones you're looking at. I think that's great.
1: (laughs) Yeah, and his examples are are really good too. I I liked his distinction between short-term thinking and long-term thinking. Mm. He's not saying ignore the competition, but he's saying the competition is really only relevant in the very near term. Yeah. Sure you have to be sure that you're at least meeting your competition tit for tat coming out you know with things that are besting them but he's encouraging us to take a much longer term view based on all of the examples that he gave and and I'm sure hundreds more that yeah it's what's taking you out is not your existing competition it's something that you don't even know about whether that's a market force or a trend or or a competitor that might not even ex- exist today hmm. but in a year or two from now it could be the thing that that uh that takes you under
0: yeah and i think a lot of mature companies and mature markets do fall into this habit of chasing the competitors i mean can you imagine how much verizon thinks about at&t and then how much at&t is thinking about t-mobile like can you just imagine like guys just take a moment think long term stop doing all of you the exact same thing and Uh fighting it out on price and on all that sort of stuff Um, But I think the other thing is it's such negative energy if you become obsessed with your competitors versus like becoming obsessed about a really big dream or a way in which your service, your product could actually be really special for those that use it. Like I know personally just the fatigue you can feel by just chasing competitors. Like play your own game, you know, in the long term. Go for something really big and daring. Don't just get sucked into some what I call arm to arm combat with the, the next competitor.
1: Yeah. And, and, and focusing on something that you don't have any control over, you, you have no control over what your competitors decide to do yes. uh, or not do. But you can set exactly. your own goal. You can put the team together to go after it. And yeah, you might fail along the way, but like you're controlling your destiny.
0: That's actually great. That was another thing inside that clip. I mean, he was on fire on that clip, like focus on the things that you control, right? And to me, the biggest learning in my life around this idea is that when you focus on the things that you control, there's a certain piece that you can get through hard work. But the problem the problem that you really face when you are focused on things you don't control, it causes enormous stress because no matter how much you work, you don't solve anything because <laughs> it's beyond your control. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. You just end up
1: pulling your, your hair out and aging yourself a few years completely.
0: Yeah. So this this really is um, the, the the opportunity we have, not only in this clip, but this next one, oh, Simon's getting on a tear here. I mean, these build nicely, actually, because this next one's all about passion. Um, And, um, you know, passion is often talked about but rarely understood. And we've got this great clip coming up here. This is Simon Sinek talking about finding belief.
2: We're often given this advice, like, do what you love. Yeah. Like, what am I supposed to do with that? Yes. Like, find your passion. Like, thank you. Like, great. Like, I don't know what to do tomorrow. Um, For me, passion is the result of something, right? So if you work hard for something you don't believe in, that's called stress. And if you work for so hard for something you do believe in, that's called passion. So it's finding the belief, it's finding the cause, it's finding the purpose, and the passion then shows up. So it's not about doing something with passion and then finding the cause, it's mm-hmm. finding the cause starting with why, yeah. and then the passion is what, is what results.
1: Hmm. So find the cause first, and then that will generate the passion. It seems right. a bit backwards to me.
0: Well, no, because I think um I uh, just mean at first glance. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah I big, but 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 the way I process what he's thinking is a cause is like, how could the world be better? How could a product or service be better? How could a thing be like much better, okay, like, for example. Childhood education really sucks. Um, let's make it awesome uh, because we believe if it's awesome, awesome education leads to awesome opportunities in life. I mean, that's pretty hard to disagree with. So, like, okay, let's let's go fight for that rather than uh, dwelling on oh, geez, you know, if you're in America, geez, the Canadian high school education is so much better. Yeah, yeah. Let's let's no, let's focus on the course. Let's just give every American child the best chance possible to succeed in life through education. Uh, that's, That's really where I think it all takes us to is that once you get into that cause, I think then you go like, well, to me, Chad, like you can't disagree with it then. Like when it's making something better, it's positive impact. I think what it does is it makes it
1: sustainable. Whereas before you could kind of burn real bright and then burn out if you don't have that underlying cause and the why you're doing it. And so if you do start there with the cause and you know, a deep purpose and why, then it's like you can pour unlimited passion into that. It kind
0: of fuels itself and and you can keep that going. Well, if you think about Chad, just to build on this, think about all the amazing people we've covered and, and think about how a lot of them had passion. Zaha Hadid she was an Iraqi born uh, woman trying to succeed in the British men's Club of architecture right mm-hmm. think about uh, I'm just looking at the list here think about the Eric Reese like there must be a better way to start companies because he admits quite freely his first one kind of sucked <laughs> Simon Sinek he was he was. No, I've got to find a way to feel better about my work. I mean, I could just go on and on. Like everybody was like, there has to be a better way. And they went through thick and thin to get there. That to me is what's so inspiring because once you've got a big cause, it, it puts fuel in the belly, right? And yeah. I, I bet you Elon Musk right now has had so many ups and downs the last year, but I think he has fuel in the belly from this passion to rethink technology and how it- You mean can- like
1: his dozen passions? Yeah, I think yeah. he'll be busy for the rest of his life and four lifetimes You know, once he <laughs> figures out how to cryogenically freeze himself and bring himself right. back or clone himself, yeah.
0: And think about what we learned about Oprah and the challenges that she faced in the early part of her career because she was an African-American woman trying to succeed in a men's club. And man, the fuel in the fire.
1: Yeah, and now she's just all about empowering people and, you know, coming into their own. And yeah, she's she's built an,
0: an entire you know billion-dollar uh, media empire around that. Yes, and that's exactly, Chad, what Simon talks about in his book, Next. Because once you've built trust with others, you've got this positive mindset, you've unlocked this passion through finding belief, then your job is to serve others. Your job is to lift others with you, yeah? a rising tide you know
1: yeah and to have their back and again i'm reaching back into our last show on leaders eight last but this idea of members of a team having each other's back and the leader being the person that's the first to volunteer to you know to take that blow for the team is really powerful and he's he's got an interesting story that comes out of the navy seals buds program uh, that illustrates it i think to a t
2: you'll find that they, the leaders of those groups will inspire the others. They'll call out to them, we can do this, come on, you got this. And something very strange happens when, uh, when officers quit, because it's officers and enlisted who all go through BUDS together, the, the Navy SEAL selection process. And when an, almost invariably, when an officer decides to quit, two or three enlisted guys will quit immediately with him. In other words, that they look to that person, if they stick with it, they'll stick with it. But if they quit, I can quit. Right. And, and, and there was a Navy SEAL who was interviewed, you know, he, he was asked, what kind of person makes it through BUDS? And he replied, I can't tell you the kind of person that makes it through BUDS, but I can tell you the kind of person who doesn't make it through. He said the, the guys that come in with bulging muscles covered in tattoos who want to prove to everybody how, how strong they are, none of those guys make it through. He said the preening leaders who just delegate it, all their responsibility, none of those guys make it through. He said the star college athletes who've never been pushed to the core of their being, none of those guys make it through. He said, some of the guys who make it through are skinny and scrawny. Some of the guys who make it through, you see them shivering out of fear. He says, but all of the guys who make it through, when they're physically exhausted, when they're emotionally exhausted, when they have nothing left to give, somehow, some way, they're able to dig down deep inside of them to find the energy to help the guy next to them. Those are the guys who become seals. It is absolutely that. So our most elite warriors on the planet are not necessarily the strongest, not necessarily the smartest, not necessarily the fittest, but they are most capable of taking care of each other. And that's what makes them the most elite.
0: Hoo-ha! I mean, that is, now we're really getting to the knockout blow of this book. I mean, that for me speaks to me on so many levels. And I believe it to be such a truth. I see it on the rugby field every weekend. I see it at work. I see it in all factors of my life, like the happiest families are those that are together. The happiest sports teams are those that play together. The best companies have very little attrition because people just love being there um yeah, but i wanna
1: I wanna be clear in how I'm understanding him, especially in this clip, it's it's not just together. I, I think if we dig a little bit deeper, he specifically says the people that make it through that very arduous program, I forget what like the dropout quit rate, but it's like probably close to ninety ninety five percent of people that quit that program. It's the people that are willing to and go out of their way to help others. Yeah. And help one another. Yep. All those other things that you Like if just the lay person showed up and tried to pick people out, yeah, they'd pick the strongest person and the person that seems like to have the most leadership outward, you know, extroverted uh, leadership capability. But he said, all of them wash out. Mm -hmm. And it's actually the people that help that go out of their way to help one another. And that it's really just the biggest takeaway for for me is this idea of service and uh, having one another's back and, and helping one another. I mean, like, it's you know I don't want to get all like kumbaya about this but yeah it's like <laughs>
0: yeah, like we just have to help one another. <laughs> so let's well, let's let's go into it but let's do it a little bit uh from a different point of view. Let's go kind of forensically, very binary. I would argue there's like a formula that when one team member helps another team member to be better, each of them feel great because of it. But then there's the halo effect that then others see others helping others So then they start helping and it's like this big compounding of everyone helping everyone. So when someone's having Mm. a rough day, like everyone's like, right, how can we help? And versus that ego position, which is where everyone is like, well, at least I didn't make the mistake or I'm too busy doing my thing. I think what happens is this amazing compounding of momentum Yeah, because everyone is helping everyone. And then what happens is people on the outside look at the company on the inside and go, these are nice people. I'd like to partner with them, be a client of theirs, maybe even work for them. And then they have a great experience. And then it's this big virtuous circle of momentum that happens because not one, but everyone's default is to help each other. Yeah,
1: I kind of have this picture in my mind of three diagrams or, or, or three uh, lines on a diagram. One is just kind of a straight line across horizontally. It's just like everyone kind of in their shell, no one helping one another, and everything is, you know, it's very static. What we've just been talking about is, you know, an exponentially increasing curve going very high and up and to the right when, as you said, each person helping one another kind of compounds on the rest and you get this a uh, compounding effect on it but it can just as very well go the opposite direction and do kind of, uh, maybe like a spiral of doom shall we call it where um as soon as one person begins to sabotage or you know act against someone or even just refuse to help it doesn't take very long for that to just whew, you know kind of take a dive bomb effect so yeah that's that's a really interesting way for me for me to think about it at least
0: yeah and and you you talked about the negative side for me it's just like working out if you work out every day, you create all this positive momentum. But I, I I don't even know if this is true, Chad, but I've heard this thing. When I was living in San Fran, uh, a friend of mine was telling me this story that uh, if you have a workout routine, let's say it's three or four times a week, every day you skip, you lose a week's worth of fitness. And every week you skip, you lose a month's worth of fitness and so on and so on the point here is i think that once one or two people s- stop helping the ego culture starts f- overtaking the 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 helping culture the serving culture mm. and mm. it's like trust it's hard to build but it's so easy to lose because inside of us we've all got the selfish gene the ego that says well why do i always have to like say the first thing like why can't it be them or why do i have to offer the help? Why doesn't someone offer to help me? And then that's that's the battle. That for me is the battleground of teamwork. Yeah. Actually, I I, I loved how you, you said it's
1: either the service culture or the ego culture. That's a really great kind of tool for me to kind of, you, I'm sure you could go into an organization pretty quickly and understand, uh, okay, is this ego co- culture or service culture? And that can be kind of a quick, um, you know, test that you can do when you're Either working with clients or partners, or uh, you know, a company that you want to work with, mm. I think that's a really great uh, thing to measure them against. Mm. Mm. It is. It wouldn't it wouldn't take very much to kind of understand it, right? Because you you see one, you would either see someone doing something in service of one another, or some someone doing something selfish in service of themselves, and then you just think, okay, I think I I think I get how this organization works
0: exactly. And then you're looking for the average, right? And look, you want to isolate those that that are, are service minded towards others. Because together with them, you'll do so much more than like that defensive mm-hmm. ego person. Well, Chad, this kind of gets us right to the very end, to the last clip. And uh, this was uh, a bit of a slam dunk for us, really, this one, because we kind of just managed to find uh, this great clip of Simon just talking about how powerful this idea was of, you know, together is better. So um Before we wrap up, let's have a listen to the man himself, Mr. Simon Sinek, talking about together really is the best way. You don't have to know all the answers. And if you don't, you don't have to pretend that you do. Mm. The
2: ones, the entrepreneurs who make it are the ones who are very open about the fact that they only know what they know, and they right. don't know what they don't know. Right, right, and right. they are very willing to ask lots of questions. Mm. You know, Some people don't like asking questions for a fear of looking stupid, right. You know, um, but they're very willing to ask questions. They get used to looking stupid. Uh-huh. Um, um, and amazingly, we are surrounded by people who want to help us, but they don't help us because they don't think we need it, because we never ask. Right. So really practice asking for help, admitting your weaknesses. I'm terrible at the numbers, right? I used to hide that fact. Uh-huh. And you know what that means? It means the business is badly. Right. Until I asked for help, and somebody said, oh, I'm good at that. I can help you. And I went, oh my god, That's, <laughs> thank you. That's you know? great. So um, I know one thing, and I'm really good at a narrow thing. The reason our organization, Uh, Grows and continues to spread our message. The reason any of my work spreads isn't because of me. If it were just me, I'd be by myself drooling on myself, you know, sort of with all these ideas and nowhere, no way to share them. It's because of throngs of people who believe what I believe, share my vision, and commit their talents, Mm. their skills that I don't have, to to advancing this greater this greater cause. Um, Literally, together is better.
1: There you have it. Together. Is better. I don't know if if you caught this, Mike, but he, when he's talking about his team, he said the very first thing out of his mouth was "there are people who believe what I believe." And I think I think we've heard that on a previous show, haven't we? <laughs>
0: <laughs> oh yes. Um, but isn't I mean he said it so well. I I don't know that we can add anything to it. Bloody hell, he's a good storyteller, isn't he? Yeah. Yeah
1: I'm 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 curious from you Mike interestingly you know we started the show kind of talking about how you and he share this expat heritage and the lessons and that that instilled in in your life I'm I'm curious kind of what other things both from this book and what we've heard here on the show kind of stood out to you most uh when it comes to mm. working it together
0: I I really uh enjoyed the timely reminder that we should get out from behind our laptops. I think uh walking the halls, chatting, connecting, eating together. I mean, this is what it's reminded me of. And I actually I loved what you were pushing into on the Navy Seals, like by default not only doing things together but helping each other be better, serving each other. That that creates the bond of trust and the space and time for people to find their passions and to be positive. Those two sh- stood out for me. Which, mm. which of all the goodies we came over? I mean, maybe you just liked the song together is better. Um, oh yes, I, I do love the song. We
1: might have a little treat for you here at the end of the the show. But I, I, for me, it was his biting commentary about just because you know you're on a team doesn't mean you are. Oh yeah, a team. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I was like, "Oh, that's oh, that's a deep cut oh, there." Oh. But yeah, like this idea of kind of colleagues versus a true team, I think it can it can be very lost on on us. And like, what's what worse thing could happen to you if you're a team member? You think you're part of a team. Your team is out there doing something. You stick your neck out. You take that risk, and you you get knocked down, and no one is there. To pick you up and help you, like that has got to be one of the worst feelings in work. And like he's just so true when he's like, just because you say you're on a team doesn't mean you're actually a team.
0: Yeah, and and it's so challenging. Like all his books, actually thus far, don't you find that as they've got this this really curious balance between like it's a bit of a slap in the face and a pat on the back. <laughs> uh-huh. It's like uh-huh. it's like this sharp. Or a splash of ice water. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> because he's like asking big questions and it kind of makes you a bit wriggly in your seat and uncomfortable because you're like, ah, there's ego, there's chasing competitors. Oh my gosh, what am I doing? But it's also like very inspirational to, to just to think about what can be done with great teams. Yeah, and it's why we've
1: decided to not do just one show. Or two shows, That's or even right. three shows. We've decided to do five total shows on Simon here. You know, don't forget about episode forty-one where we kicked off this kind of extended Simon series um, as a part of our you know entrepreneur and author series. But yeah, w- we are not done yet, are we, Mike?
0: So true. So we're going to get super practical, pragmatic uh, in the next show. We're going to dive into find your why. And this this is really going to be about putting into action so much of what Simon uh, teaches. This is about doing it. So this 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 might have a little bit of a uh, slap in the face, pat on the back as well. I think I should warn everyone. But uh, yeah, you can expect uh, more of the same uh, from Simon Sinek, perhaps a little bit uh, practical. Yeah. Well, I'm I'm
1: excited for the tactical uh, episode uh, yeah. next with Find Your Way.
0: Yeah, I agree. I agree. And um, of course you can find uh, links to all the books on our show notes at moonshots.io um, and tell us, I mean, I feel like this is a real case study show coming up where we can reflect on projects, teams, and companies we've worked in and and what's worked and what hasn't and and our own personal story so i'd invite any of our listeners uh that are feeling like they're trying to get this sort of why thinking or leaders eat last or together is better like you know share your stories with us go to moonshots.io chad you love a good email what's out what's our email address oh yeah email
1: us at hello At Moonshots.io. That goes both to Mike and myself. We love getting the feedback from you all. I've even been getting text messages from people uh, listening to our Architects series and and this Simon series. So yeah, thank you so much, listeners, for getting in touch.
0: Excellent. All right. Well, Chad, we've been on a journey here of teamwork, of collaboration. There's been, as you would say, a little bit of ice water, but we've really, really learned that It starts with being open and trusting in others, having real-world contact, and unlocking some of that positivity and passion. And teams can do amazing things when they've got those things, but their key ingredient is to be serving each other. And when that happens, together really is better. Well, with that, Mike, I want to say
1: thank you and good morning to you, signing off (laughs) here in the evening. In New York. Um, but yeah, I'm excited. We've got two more episodes with
0: Simon, and uh, who knows Oof. what Oof. is coming next? to damn straight. Chad, thanks to you. Thanks to all of our listeners. Hit us up at moonshots.io. It's been a great third installment of the Simon Cynic series. We'll see you next time. That's a wrap.
3: Hold my hands so you don't slip on the rocks. They say the mountain is so hard to climb, hand in hand we shall overcome, together is better than one.